The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined by producer and co-host Alex Wong. It is apparently a holiday Monday here across Canada, but not for us, you know, not for us. We are here to deliver, honestly, um, a recap of sort of what's gone on in NBA free agency uh, with the Toronto Raptors. Been a fairly busy team, I would have to say, and also try to get a sense of what else might be to come. So we have... Uh, uh, Keith Pompey, a reporter from Philadelphia, to talk about the James Harden situation, talk about Nick Nurse, maybe talk about the newest Toronto Raptors uh, swingman, Jalen McDaniels. Another one? That's right, another one. Vision 6ix9ine lives on. Uh, then we have Sean Hyken coming in from Portland to discuss, hey, can the Raptors maybe jump in on this Dame thing or at least just what's going on with Damian Lillard? Where would he go? Is he actually going to force his way to Miami? Do they really want Tyler Hero to go along with Scoot Henderson and... Uh, the and and, and no. Anthony Simons, uh, the answer should be no, and uh, maybe there's an opportunity there. You jump in, maybe Toronto jumps in. We'll see. Uh, and then, yeah, we will wrap up with uh, Sportsman's very own Michael Grange. We'll talk about everything in terms of free agency, but also, most importantly, we'll talk about Pascal Siakam, who Grange did report over the weekend that uh, Grange, uh, that you know Pascal may potentially be on the move after all this time. So a lot coming up in this two-hour show. But, Alex, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Good morning to you. Yeah. A lot of energy this morning. I don't know what happened. Yeah. I'm just more energetic than I'm used to at <laughs> this hour. Maybe I should only operate on three hours sleep. Don't let the bosses hear that. Um, yeah. So, like you mentioned, Raptors free agency. They're a very busy team. I think coming into, you know, Friday, 6 p.m., the expectation was that the Raptors were going to run it back, make their best efforts to bring back Fred and Jakob Pertl and sort out their roster after. And to be honest, that's what the front office tried to do. But, you know, the Houston Rockets had their cap room and ended up offering Fred, uh, you know, uh, an amount of money that, honestly, I don't think anyone could have refused. Uh, three years, 130. Yep, the max. So, so Fred is gone, and, you know, the Raptors had to pivot and use their mid-level exception to sign Dennis Schroeder to a two-year deal and use their biannual exception, a.k.a. the Bay, uh, to get new swingman Jalen McDaniels, who, of course, is 6'9" and a career under 35% three-point shooter. Do you think they just have a spreadsheet where they sort these specific guys out at the practice facility? I mean, <laughs> I would say no, but also I think their actions would say yes. <laughs> and they're know. all in font 50. No, I, I'm fine with Jalen McDaniels. Okay, for, okay, for we'll Bay. talk about yeah. Jalen McDaniels yeah. later. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Jakob Pertl came back. That's that right. Was a, that was the first bit of news. Yeah, so you, first off, you told me that Jakob Pertl was apparently at a wedding? He, uh, uh, yeah, he was at Trey Jones's wedding because they were teammates in San Antonio. Yeah. Uh, Derek White was there as well with a freshly new shaved uh, bald dome. Right. I saw the pictures of that. So you're yeah. telling me all these NBA players yeah. on the weekend of free agency scheduled a wedding at that specific day? You're telling me you think free agency starts on Friday at 6 p.m.? You're telling me no. the business is not done? Of course, of business course. business is done, right? But I'm just saying, like, everyone at that wedding is going to be like, oh, what's the latest from Woj? That's <laughs> no, what I would not. be if I was at the wedding. Everyone there already knew. Our own Michael Grange said he talked to an agent on Friday who said that at least 15 deals were done. Yeah, I think he undersold it. I think it was he, actually he, like 20 he, he deals. He undersold it. He, and it's also like Phoenix came right out and signed like seven guys to their bench, right, on minimum right. deals. And, you know, you remember last year, the great Daryl Morey, who's not afraid to get uncomfortable mm. um, in the James Harden saga, um, was that they were fined for, for tampering with uh, Daniel House, right? right? right. Uh, Famously fixed the housing market. Yeah, and I, and I was thinking, like, for Phoenix, who doesn't actually... I don't think they have a draft pick till 2031. Mm. Even if they were caught for tampering, what, what is Adam Silva going to take away from them? 
Like there's Bradley Bill. Like if they raid their house, there's literally nothing to take away. Anyways, yeah, I suppose. Jakob was the first order of business, but of course the big news was Fred mm-hmm. leaving to Houston, leaving just a huge hole now in the starting lineup for the Raptors. Yeah, I, I think um, obviously Plan A was resigning Fred. Um, I think that uh, the Houston Rockets leading up to the free agency period, there was tons of noise that. You know they're going to offer the max. I still thought it was just like this just doesn't make sense to me in the sense that like, with all due respect to Fred, he is not a max player in terms of quality. And I thought that especially if you have that much cap space, there's other things you can do with it. And so if you tie it all up in one player, um, you know where does that leave you? Ultimately, not only did they go with the two year max, but they even added a team option at the end of it. Right, that's that's where it got up to three years, and so I don't, I didn't think what I, at that point happened. I just didn't think the Raptors could really fully um, compete with that offer. The Raptors' advantage, if they chose to do so, would be to go longer term in the deal, and you know, give you three years, four years, maybe guaranteed with at a lower number. I think Fred's value is closer to, in terms of his productions, closer to a thirty million dollar player rather than a full max. Like we're talking about full max is like this is the money they were gonna they had earmarked for James Harden, who isn't coming off a great year, but James Harden is like, you know, what led the league in assists the past season and still scoring 20 plus and, and possibly the best offensive player ever. Okay. Well, that's, that is what Daryl Daryl Morey. Morey. you know, the funny thing about Daryl Morey too, cause I, I keep hearing this story from Tim, um, Tim uh, McMahon on, mm. on, on the hoop collective. Howdy he, partners. Yeah, exactly. The howdy partners guy. And he, and he keeps saying that like, you know, Daryl Morey has like a painting of, of, of James Harden somewhere in his house. What? Yeah. That's like, Displayed that's prominently like, That's in the like house. Polly Walnuts in The Sopranos having a painting of Tony. That's basically <laughs> what it is, which is always kind of shocking to me. So maybe I'll, ask, I'll add that to the rundown. To let's, ask add a, a, let's add Keith a Daryl Morey question yeah. for, for Keith Pompey. But, but yeah, yeah. Regardless, like when, when they offered that much money, I, I, didn't, I just didn't think the Raptors, you know, the advantage would be you, you know this organization better. You have a better chance of winning in this organization. I understand last year is disappointing. Maybe come back and fix all that. He ultimately, you know, took more money and and left. And I think that the Raptors obviously should not have tied up that much money. Um, I was even, for me personally, I was thinking about a three-year deal would be pretty ideal. Three years, 90. Makes a lot of sense. Basically what Kyle Lowry got um, back in 2017 when he hit for agency. And I understand the cap has moved and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like, you know, that that, that seemed like a good number to sort of stay firm at. Um, A fourth year would have made me feel kind of queasy about the whole situation. And, yeah, I mean, ultimately, he's getting paid, like, what? Houston beat that offer by, like, $12 million. So the Raptors theoretically could have matched it. But, again, you would be way into the luxury tax. You wouldn't be able to pull off these other moves. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have, you know, yacked back at that point. So I suppose they pivoted to plan B. And, and plan B is not, like, awful in terms of just on its own. Like, plan B looks fine. Like, I, I think there's no parts of this where I'm like, you know, Dennis Schroeder, Probably paid fair value for a backup point guard at the mid-level. Um, he can give you, what, 25 to 30 minutes pretty consistently. It's not high-value minutes necessarily, but, you know, he eats some time there for you. Um, and I think Jalen McDaniels is a good flyer at the Bay. Another flyer. Yeah, he's literally a Bay flyer. We're talking 2000s. We'll be picking up coupons, man. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think the plan B, I suppose, is, like, reasonable. And, you know, if you want to look at it from that perspective, it's like, okay, that alone isn't – bad but i still want to know like okay so this past season you really struggled with getting production from your guards and a lot of people kind of got tired of watching 
like essentially Vision 6-9, right? You just saw all these playmaking wings who don't really shoot that great. And where does that really lead you? You bring in the center, that 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 helps. But now you need a pick-and-roll partner to go with that center. Um, and I think Fred was by far the best pick-and-roll partner for Jakob um, this past season. And then I think about in terms of just like, you know, yes, you bring in Dennis Schroeder. He can provide you with some decent play at the point guard position. Um, you might even say best case scenario, he might give you – 70% of what Fred gave you this past season. And, and that was obviously Fred in a down year. But, you know, it's, it's not like Dennis Schroeder is a bad player. I don't think he's a bad player. Um, but you're, you've, you've still downgraded in terms of how much shooting you have on the team for a team that was already really, really bad at shooting. Now, you, you bring in Grady Dick as a, as a rookie. Does that replace Fred? I don't really think so. Because um, there is a big drop-off from Dennis' shooting to Fred's shooting. Um, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm still a little bit perplexed. Like the roster as this, you know, there is a potential of it working out, and that looks like Scotty takes a leap, most importantly, at the point guard position. Because um, you would assume he would be starting at point guard. He should start at point guard. You you, you have to essentially go with this now. Um, OG makes a leap. You keep hearing talking about you keep hearing reports like, okay, OG kind of you know wants a bigger offensive role. It's like, well, you, I guess Fred's not around to quote unquote hold back these guys, so. I would, I would. They need to make a leap now, otherwise, then what? What have we been talking about this whole time? And I mean, to be fair, too, OG right? makes OG, a leap. OG's, Scotty makes a OG's leap. OG's gotten his opportunities to try to show that. Already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course, of course. You know what I mean? So, so again, now, now he has this full time opportunity. Sure, yeah. Right? Are they going to make that leap? Is Pascal a going to be around? I think he should be, but you know, we'll see. We'll talk to Grange. Mm-hmm. He continues to play at a borderline All NBA level. Jakob Pertl comes in and brings you center production. And then Gary, I suppose, slides into the starting lineup back in there as a shooter. You kind of need a shooter with the starting group. Your bench looks better than before. Maybe you go that, and then new coach with Darko. There's a, like, I wouldn't say it's impossible for the Raptors to, like, win, you know, 45, even 48 games with this group as is, as a best-case scenario, uh, at least for next season. But I think there's a lot of ifs that kind of go into that. And so it's not like they were starting in a great position in the first place. 41 and 41 was disappointing to everybody. But uh, yeah, it's for I, I think my ultimate conclusion is just for a team that struggled with guard production, you've actually downgraded a, a guard. So I mean, yeah, I, I think all right. I think the frustrating thing for for this off season, and I think we could have anticipated this coming in, is like you know the roster was in flux, and there was a lot of questions about Fred's future, and even Gary, and and to a lesser extent, Jakob. And, you know, given the roster moves that took place on Friday with the roster that it looks like right now, like it's still a roster in flux, a roster with a lot of questions, right? Like you talk about Pascal, you know, if he doesn't sign an extension this summer, uh, OG as well, you know, with the current roster right now, you're going to end up in the same scenario next season at the trade deadline of two players, two prominent players in Pascal and OG, mm-hmm. um, arguably more prominent than the two that was going into free agency um, at the trade deadline this summer with, with Fred and uh, Fred and Gary. Um, and then wondering if you're going to be able to extract like trade value for them. Like, I think, you know, we can talk, I know there's been a lot of chatter about like the asset mismanagement and, and all of this stuff, um, you know, from Fred and going back a few years like, you know, regardless of how people feel about that, I think the most important thing now is like, you know, now you have to make sure you take care of the Pascal and OG situation either way. Like, I think that's just, mm-hmm. you know, pertinent to where this franchise is going. Like, whether you're extending these players or if not, you're not kind of overvaluing them on the trade market 
or making a trade that's not going to work out for your team long term. Like specifically with OG, we've heard all these reports about the Raptors not being willing to trade him or asking for like, you know, uh, what other teams deem to be just like unreasonable um, demands. Like they can't mess these two up, right? No, it's like, you really that, can't. Like that's, like that's really it. And I think the other thing too, I'm with you, is like if you want to take an optimistic view of the roster as it is right now, like you look at the internal improvement and you point a point to a guy like OG, point to a guy like Gary. But I mean, this is this is honestly like all on all on Scotty in terms of where this team is going. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Scotty's yeah, sure. development, like I know there's so many running storylines right now about the Raptors and these guys in different contract situations, what their future is gonna be like. You know, if people want to clarify it, I think the main thing is just like, you know, what is Scotty going to look like in his third year? Is he going to start? Do you feel like he's tracking towards a development curve where he can be a star player, whether it's at the point guard position or somewhere else? Because like once you have that, that clarifies yeah, yeah, a course. lot of other things, right? That's I mean, that's the upside in the roster. Right? It's still sure. is. I mean, that's the upside in the roster last year as well. And we talked mm. about it and, you know, um, you know, the jump wasn't made, but ultimately you know, you have a situation now where it's like you don't necessarily have like a fail safe, at least before. It was like, okay, you know what? If, if it wasn't going to work, then we could still do the Pascal and Fred thing, which we know has a limited ceiling, but at least it's there, right? Mm-hmm. Now you take away one portion of it. And I, w- I would say one half, but realistically, I think Pascal is like clearly a level above Fred. Um, you still take away one piece of that. Don't fully replace it. I mean, again, you're uh, Dennis is, you know, it's interesting with Dennis too, because it's like he will score the ball better off of drives. There's no there's no doubt that he's a better slasher than Fred. He's he's extremely quick even though um he he's he's I would say like well into his career at this point, but he's not like super old. He's I think the same age as Fred. Um he gets to the rim and you know, he's he's quick he's quick and he's shifty. Um you know, can provide you pretty good on-ball defense. Like those are things that I would say are upgrades over Fred in terms of the attributes, in terms of just those specific attributes. But realistically, you've taken a uh, a situation where the Raptors were already really poor in three-point shooting, and you've brought in Dennis Schroeder, who has a bit of a set shot, slower shot, um, you know, wasn't too successful in catching shoots last year, and whatever. You could say all those things about, like, Fred wasn't really hitting lights out last year. We all saw what happened. But I do think that there's a longer track record of Fred being a very good three-point shooter. Um, and also, he was giving you volume with that. I mean, you could say that he took two extra threes a game that were just kind of like he's, or like ill-advised shots. I don't even disagree with that. But ultimately, I still want like three-point volume on the team. You've gone from a guy who shoots like 10 a game to a guy who gives you like three, four attempts per game. And, you know, that's primarily a reflection of um, sort of how he plays. And again, how you replace some of that production, I, I just don't fully know. Otto Porter and uh, Joe Wieskamp. It's like Otto Porter, Joe Wieskamp. It's like, you know, no, Grady you, Dick maybe comes in. Like, I, I mean, like, realistically, those are all, like, ifs. They still don't have enough shooting on this roster. Yeah, and not, I think the bigger close. thing is just, like, you need to see not just that, but you need to see, like, Scotty, you know, consistently running pick and roll at a high level. And, you know, we haven't seen that at the NBA level. You might say, well, Fred's been doing that, so maybe he was blocking him. I guess we're about to see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can see in terms of just, like, is there going to be new skill development that comes in in terms of, is Scotty going to go from a reluctant shooter to being a willing shooter or at least even being a willing mid-range shooter? Um, you know, three-point shooting would be ideal, but maybe the mid-range shooting comes first, you know? Um, you know, in terms of his playmaking, is that continue to strive? That's his best attribute right now. Can he con- continue that? Um, I think across the league, you look at it in terms of primary ball handlers and initiators. 
most of them these days can really, really shoot the ball or not even just shoot the ball, be a significant threat to score the ball. And I do feel like, is that going to be the case where Scotty comes in next season and is a consistent walking threat to score the ball? I don't even necessarily need him to always shoot the ball. I definitely don't want to see him chuck the ball. I don't want to see anybody chuck the ball. I would say that's one of those things that you could say was one of the Fred's issues on the past couple of years. And again, I don't disagree with that. Um, but, you know, Fred was willing to score the ball and he carried that threat. And that's what leveraged a lot of his assists. Like, you know, you look at things nowadays, you can look at driving stats, right? You can look at how many times a guy drives per game. And I think it's very important that, you know, you guys drive to the rim. That's, I think it's the very core tenant of basketball. Fred drove to the basket like 15 times a game, 14, 15 times a game. Um, uh, and you compare it to Scotty last year, it was around six, the same thing as OG, right? So I would like to see him pretty much reach 10 of those a game, but that requires you to be better with the handle, more aggressive in general, you know, and if that all happens, again, the upside is there, the potential is there for this roster to still be good, but now there is no more sort of like, not even fail safe, because I feel like last year was a failure, but you don't have somebody else to fall back on. Like the bottom is no longer 40 wins. The bottom is like, I don't know, 30 wins, you know? And I'm not saying that Fred is just 10 wins worth of value, but I'm saying the potential bottom is a lot lower than it was before. So um, having said all that, I suppose if you're the front office, and I'm sure we'll get to speak with them soon, um, they will tell you that, like, they want to create this opportunity to grow, and they will always spin it in that positive light. I mean, that's part of, I suppose, any organization would kind of do that in terms of their public relations. But... I kind of do like that idea as well. But having said that, other guys need to grow into that space. So I'm looking at Scotty. I'm looking at OG. Looking at Gary as well, right? Can he establish himself as a consistent starter once again? Is there more to his game? Can he defend better? He probably had to guard a lot more pick and, uh, pick and roll. He probably had to guard a lot more on ball on the, pick, on the point of attack because you know, uh, Fred is gone. Or maybe even just Nick is gone, so he's not going to put Scotty there as much to guard the point of attack. There's all these big questions. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in much... I think very different to previous years. You can't really predict like what the Raptors look like this upcoming season. Yeah, no, they're in flux right now. Uh, you mentioned Gary Trent Jr. He uh, is reportedly going to sign a, a quote-unquote lucrative long-term extension sure. with the team. That was reported on Friday, but there hasn't been um, a follow-up on that. And I think the other thing with Fred, too, you talk about how other guys have to pick up the slack. You know, to me, it's not just on the court. I think about off the court, too, and in the locker room, right? Like, whether you agree or not with Fred um, being a, a good or bad leader um, in the locker room, um, he was uh, one of the leading voices, and he has How been. is anyone supposed to know is, is he's a good or bad leader in the locker room? Like, I don't, I, I don't even know. I, I, and, I don't know. And I'm not saying, like, I'm people some sort of, like... People seem to know. Um, but but I, I'm, like, I'm not close seem, enough to the situation. But you know what I mean, though? Like, know. when you yeah. look at that locker room right now, like, Pascal is a more lead-by-example type of guy. Um, OG, you know, has his own, um, you know, leadership approach. And, like, who else is there right now, right? Sure. So, yeah, if, yeah, so if these are these young guys, you know... And, again, like, I'm, I'm skeptical that they're done um, making changes to their roster. Okay. Like, I'm a little skeptical about that. But if this is the roster that, that is going to go into training camp, plus you have a first-year um, NBA head coach, like, you know, like, do you just... Like, who's going to step up in that regard, I guess, is my question. I mean, I right? think best case, like, Darko is that guy? Yeah. We're, man, add that to Darko's to-do list. No, but I mean, it's that's a long. big part of the team. Like, we can talk about, like, players 
provide leadership, but like the coach should provide leadership. You know what I mean? And the pro- coach sets the tone. The coach decides who plays, who doesn't play. Mm-hmm. What's you know, I, mean, I wouldn't say what sets to run, but even realistically, like obviously, these going to set the tone and mm-hmm. the direction. And I think, yeah, we're going to see this clear opportunity for, for Darko to step in there because, as you mentioned, there is this leadership void in addition to the fact that he's been replaced a head, uh, replacing Nick, a head coach. So I'm kind of expecting that from him. That's mostly his job. Um, in terms of, like, the players in the locker room, you know, Thad Young got uh, his option picked up. Yeah. So, or not picked up, but I guess they guaranteed they his, didn't his contract. They did So now he's on the books for $8 million. So you suppose, I mean, he was brought in for veteran leadership. In large part, yeah. and so, again, he might not even be on the roster by yeah, most start likely. Of the season, right? Well, that's not most likely, but it's quite it's possible. possible. Quite possible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, in terms of the players leading themselves, I mean, I would love for everybody to sort of take after Pascal's lead. Like you know, sure. he he works extremely hard. I think everyone can sort of take a lot from sort of his approach mm-hmm. towards just the the sport in general. And you know, I think there's that aspect, but I wouldn't really characterize him as one of those, you know. Um, at least maybe in a public-facing setting. You know, when we go into the press conferences and, and, and talk to Pascal, he's sort of just kind of like, you know, it's not my, it's not my role. It's about mm-hmm, my pay grade. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not here to tell this guy this and this. And I think there's been more and more where he's sort of communicated with players. He's sort of come into his own. But I still don't think that it comes as naturally to him as it did with a guy like Fred. And so we'll see. Again, it's another vacuum that somebody has to step in and sort of fill. Yeah, and it's a vacuum that we haven't had to think about for like almost a decade, man. Sure, like when, yeah. When Kyle was here, right? It was a really yeah. seamless thing, of, to, and at least from the outside to look at it, it was like Kyle was here mm-hmm. with Damar. Those two were the leaders. Then Damar left. Kyle was the leader. Mm-hmm. Then Kyle ultimately left, but he essentially had like prepared Fred for this moment. There was so much talk about that sort of transition, yeah. that takeover. And then they were going to pass it on to Malachi Flynn. That might still come next year. Uh, <laughs> I suppose this is the time. Maybe Malachi's Red there. Van Vliet back. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man, you don't seem excited. Me neither, to be honest. Um, I mean, it's possible, I suppose. One yeah. more note on Fred before um get to a couple other things, too. So he said a thank you on, on Instagram. Yes. To the did. fans and uh, global ambassador of the Raptors, Drake, replied, and he said, quote, my lookalike, the love is forever. Thank you for your character and your contributions over the years. The city will never forget Good luck with everything on the Guangdong Dragons. I mean the Rockets. First what, of all, it's the Guangdong Southern Tigers, Drake. Yeah, how dare you? How dare you like, disrespect at least, the, the, At least look it up, man. Disrespecting the CBA. Yeah, like you better that. learn the real CBA. You better buddy. learn not Chinese. The, not not <laughs> the one negotiated by Grant Williams and Garrett Temple. You better learn Chinese <laughs> Basketball Association, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I love that one. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, First off, that's if you if you were not wherever to split as like a a, a working podcast partnership, uh, I'd probably give you the same post. <laughs> I'd probably say you're going to the Guangdong Southern Tigers as well, because um, it's not too far from your hometown. But uh, uh, you would know better than me. It's, yeah. bro, it's right beside Hong yeah. Kong. Yeah, sure. the, yeah. Anyway, regardless. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was first off. It, it was good to get that acknowledgement. Um, just in general, I, I like seeing players like acknowledge the team when they leave you know we've seen Kyle give his posts and we've seen Norm those are very memorable players tribute article with Norm so I've seen online uh investigative journalism on uh which teammates liked Fred's post oh man I <laughs> guess we're down I guess we're really down that badly we can, we can okay. really just move on he's a Houston Rocket now uh I, I suppose <laughs> I suppose this is the last thing um because there definitely is a lot of investigation on that which I mean I I, I guess um I'm just going to refrain from commenting. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in, t- in terms of Fred walking, I mean, there was one thing that I think that was notable in there where he he talked about sort of, you know, 
being a guy that no one really knew walking around the city, probably no one knew Fred. They're like, oh, look at that guy. He's 5'10". <laughs> it's like, look, it's Drake. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Look, I it's think Drake's much taller. It's Aubrey. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they were, he's just walking the city and then became, you know, a fan favorite. And then he said, and then to most hated. To most hated, yeah. Right. With which a then, crying, laughing which, emoji. Wh- which yeah. then spawned, like, this big discussion in terms of, like, who was the most hated in franchise history. And someone was like, no, man, Vince was way more hated. And I'm like, obviously, Vince no, was No, man, this, this is why the rate limit had to hit on the weekend on Twitter, man. Yeah. Thank but, you, Elon, for the only time. No, seriously, that was that was not great. I did not enjoy being put on a Twitter diet. Catch me on Blue Sky. Uh, Are you on Blue Sky? Because I will actually catch you. I got a code for you. Yeah. Okay. Well. Anyways. But regardless, like he did say that, like you know, that most hated part, which I think was kind of a nod to the idea that like he did become extremely unpopular was yeah, and and he was super aware of of it. He talked about it throughout the season. Yeah. Like he was super aware of it. Yeah. I think it's just a reminder, like like pro athletes see everything. Yeah. You know, and it's sometimes it's not even like go out of their way to see it. I but think then, algorithms sort of push it towards you now. Yeah, no one will really admit to searching their own name, but I'm no, sure. But you've heard Fred and other. I think talk CJ talked about, about this sometimes. too. It's like wives and like friends and like you know yeah, siblings. It, they'll, they'll send gets all back the to messages, them. right? Yeah. So, so that's how that's how you and uh, Chris Boucher ended up in a you know. UFC that's where I match. learned the lesson, though. I think more than anything else, and that's why yeah. we, we we all hatched it out and everything's good. Yeah. But it taught me a good lesson in terms of just being in the media. Well, then, also I, then I also a saw a conversation about whether <laughs> Fred realizing that the fans hated him was the reason why. Okay, that no, that's, not, that's not why you he left, why but he I left? do think that like it Tillman is a Fertitta lingering impression. gave him the all-you-can-eat buffet, man, on Friday. No, that, that, that is definitely you the big walk reason. O- you cannot walk away from that all-you-can-eat buffet. No, good for Fred, man. Honestly, it's, his story is inspirational. Uh, undrafted to $200 million. Yeah, no, seriously. $200 million. They're going to be telling his story. They're going to be telling his story on LinkedIn in like 100 years, man. Yeah. You know, those like threads, but. Oh, yeah. They're like, how? A 5'10 undrafted player, four years (laughs) out of Wichita. Thread. (laughs) Parlayed his contract into. Oh, parlayed. Oh, my God. Well, actually, him leaving parlay, I feel like actually to help in this situation. Because I feel like this is like, this is what Clutch should offer all their clients moving forward when they sign rookies and players. He was on on parlay, like entertainment. Yeah, I think he was on his own thing. And then, yeah, he moved off of that. And then he went to Clutch. And like, if I was Clutch, I would tell all my he went, he went from rolling dice to playing Baccarat, man. Yeah. yeah. No, legit. They, like, folded over and they rolled over. What's the what's the number of Baccarat? 16? I have never played Baccarat. Okay. Well, I guess you don't. Yeah. <laughs> My Fair bad. Shout out to Anna Sandsmeyer in the poker. But, yeah, I think one last thing, too, like, you know, in this segment, it's like you think about, like, what direction the Raptors are are, are going now or still going this mm-hmm. offseason, mm-hmm. right? And, of course, we're going to talk to Sean Aiken about uh, Dame Lillard um, in, in, in a bit. But it's like. You know, Raptors have been mentioned as like, you know, a team that can put together a pretty, you know, entertaining offer for Dame. Um, entertaining? What does that mean? <laughs> they're going to show him a Netflix password? They're going to, you know, it's going to be good enough for Joe Cronin to uh, entertain. Joe Cronin, my favorite GM name, by the way. Yeah. Um, Sounds like a Spider-Man villain for some if reason. You, if you trade for Dame, then obviously you signal that you want to have a win now. Uh, core here sure yeah, yeah but on the flip side the raptors um you know the kings of a million options can also entertain trades for pascal and og and let's say they they go that route and actually move them this summer and you would expect they get um you know a bunch of young players back along with draft picks mm. in that scenario the rebuild just begins right like then you have then you really have this full roster now to kind of just turn over yeah and somehow yaka is still here <laughs> 
Hey, good for you, man. I hope you enjoyed that wedding. You know how you know how lit you I would be at a wedding if I was also paid eighty million dollars while I was at that wedding. You think Jakob should Ooh. rent or buy next year in in Toronto? I think he might have enough money to buy in Toronto with eighty million dollars. I I'm know just, the real real estate market's I'm tough, but eighty is eighty. You he know? might be on the move. Now nah, call Mark Savell, right? He might be. <laughs> they on could the call move. the Mark Savell. All right, but, we are yeah. going to take a break. Uh, I've been your host, Will Lou. That's Alex. When you're listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, when we come back, we will call Keith Pompey from Philadelphia. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I continue to be joined by producer and co-host Alex Wong. And we are joined by Philadelphia's... Uh, Keith, uh, Pompey Keith Pompey of the, of the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Inquirer. Inquirer. Keith, what's going on? What's going on? What's up, man? How you been? We've been all right, man. We've been all right, man. What's what's what's, what's the echo that we're hearing? Do you have headphones on? Do you have headphones on? Nah, uh, I don't have uh, any we're headphones. We're gonna bring we're gonna bring Keith Pompey back. All right, don't worry. Um, it's gonna be worth the wait. That's the fan favorite there. We're gonna get our producer to work on. Yeah. That, so what we're gonna talk to Keith about more in depth, of course, one of the big storylines in free agency that that came out was James Harden opting in to his uh, contract for next season, I believe, worth around $35 million, and then requesting a trade from the Sixers. The opting in <laughs> and then requesting a trade is so much funnier than just leaving it for uh, agency. I mean, James Harden has, like, hit the trifecta on, like, trade requests, you know? The, the one in Houston, he, um, you know, famously, at the height of the pandemic, uh, went on a strip club tour across North America instead of showing up to training camp and then got traded. Uh-huh. Do you remember his teammate at the time was John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, like right before he got traded. I think there yeah. might have been some comment in... from John being like, yo, we don't need him. Or some, <laughs> I maybe DeMarcus said that. Actually, yeah, yeah. He's like, yo, we're good over day. here. And I was like, we're good over here. Yo, DeMarcus Cousins was the first person to say we're good in the West. We're fine in the West. And then, and then anyways, in Brooklyn. He wasn't even fine in the South. In Brooklyn, you know, Harden threatened to, uh, you know, give the needle. Um, give the vaccination to Kyrie, and then when that didn't work, he requested a trade. And <laughs> okay. Now, now here he is, and yeah. I believe we have Keith back on the line. Keith, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys? Uh, we appreciate you, man. We appreciate you. It's, it's been a little difficult to connect, but uh, yeah, we want to ask you about what's going on in Philadelphia because obviously uh, there's a lot going on in Philadelphia. We'll start with James Harden. Um, what was? So can you take us through his decision in terms of opting in and then? choosing to request a trade rather than just obviously him. He could have opted out and just gone into free agency was like, cause if he really wanted to leave, I suppose he could have just gone the other direction. Yeah. You know, the thing is he, he wanted to go to Houston, right? Well, the thing is it, he, he, Houston, it seemed like was the, uh, a guarantee a couple months ago, right. That he was going to go back to Houston. He was going to get paid. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, it got to a point where, you know, some guys within the organization, you know what I mean, uh, felt that Fred um, was a better player for them. Hmm. And and what and what happened is it just seems like the money that they were going to give him, Fred got, it seemed like. Um, but at the same time, the Sixers weren't willing to, you know, James is getting older. Um, you know, James uh, struggled a little bit in the playoffs. Um, at, at times, and I felt like the Sixers weren't willing to give invest in him long term. So when you look at it, the money that James had is kind of like is 
I hate to use a cliche, but it's better to have a bird in the hand than two in the bush. Mm. So he's the money, right? And then he's going to he wants to go to the Clippers, and he wants to ball out, see what he can do, and then see what what's going to happen in free agency next summer. Mm. So you look at it that way. You know, it, it was kind of like the Houston thing dried out for him, which really impacted the leverage that he had with the sure. Sixers. There weren't a lot of teams. Now, typically, if there are a lot of teams that want to come after you, then you can always, like, say, well, um, I can get overpaid, so to speak. Well, there weren't a lot of teams, mm. and especially championship contenders. So he's not getting overpaid. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that the pivot from Houston targeting James Harden, which was the reporting all season, uh, I think even at – when they were doing their head coaching search, I think it came out that essentially they were asked, like, hey, what would you think about coaching James Harden as the head coach here? Before, he, obviously, he even went there, and obviously he's not going back there. Um, yeah, that seemed to be a pretty sharp pivot going from him to, to going to Fred. But, yeah, I mean, his interest in the Clippers, I mean, what would that kind of framework look like? Uh, what's an acceptable return, I suppose, for Philadelphia fans if you're going to give up on a guy like James Harden who – Obviously, he's not peak James Harden anymore, but he was still 20 and 10 and led the league in assists last year. Exactly. And I, I think that Philadelphia, it's funny, right? Because Philadelphia fans, um, and just about any other fan base, like when, when they see a guy every day, they'll like complain, like, oh, we can't get him out of here. Like he's, he, you know, he, he, he's no longer the same guy, right? Mm. So, like, let's move on. But then when they want the, the player back, they want it to be another top 75 all-time player, right? Great. So people look at, we got to get Paul George. Uh, yeah. uh, we got Kawhi Leonard, right? Yeah, but, like, at, but really, huh? Well, Kawhi's not happening for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not happening. So it, it's one of those things where, you know, but if you're the 76ers, you want to get something back that's going to keep you in championship contention. But right now, the best, the best, thing that you can get from the Clippers are possibly some role players like a, you know, um, you know, a Dwight Powell, a, a Marcus Morris. Um, you know, I don't even know if you could get Terrence Mann at this particular point because mm. they look at him as a nice young star. So there are certain guys that you can get in that, you know, that who are, you know, could be role players. But the problem is if you're the 76ers and you look at James and what you said, the 20 and 10, you know, he was the best facilitator on the team. They don't have anybody else. Like, so if you bring in other guys who can be role players, that's great. But is that keeping you on par with the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks or the Miami Heat? So that's the dilemma that the Sixers have right now. Yeah, and, like, it's interesting too, Keith, because, I mean, technically James is under contract because he opted in, and there's always already been talk that, you know, um, they, they might be able to convince James to, to show up to training camp if, if there isn't a deal done by then. And then we know that Daryl Morey's famous uh, for, for, you know, uh, being not, not caring about being uncomfortable. I mean, this obviously reminds, I think, everyone, especially in Philly, about the Ben Simmons situation. Um, do you think there's a scenario where, you know, the Clippers offer, like you mentioned, isn't that appealing and maybe they don't find the right trade to get the pieces that, that James Harden starts with the team next season? I think that could happen. I don't think like um, I don't think it is ideal. As much as Daryl says it, I think they all know that that's not ideal. 
the ideal, and especially, you know, you got Nick Nurse coming in there, um, a new coach. You know, you want to get everything started. You want everything to be great. But the whole Ben Simmons thing, as much as everybody wants to, you know, everybody says everything, like, be positive about it. But it was a strain on the Sixers. Mm. So I feel like, you know, yes, if he doesn't get it, that's an option. But I also feel like that they they don't want it to come to that point. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the problem is, like, unfortunately, if if you're the Clippers, you're not like you're not going to give up one of your All Star caliber players for a guy who you know lost it a little bit, lost a step, and also who's in the final year of his contract. Like, I, you know, I don't think you're going to do that for him. I don't see it. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, you know, I actually, I, I've heard this point brought up in other places, um, but just the idea that Daryl Morey and his, and his relationship with, with, with James Harden, obviously him coming over from Houston as the, you know, GM or president and, you know, bringing in James shortly thereafter. Um, I mean, is that still a really strong relationship? Because I, I've heard even things like, you know, he has, obviously he said in the press before, he's a better offensive player, James Harden, than, than Michael Jordan, which I thought was hyperbolic. Doesn't make any sense. But I, I suppose he tried to make his case. And then, you know, there's even talks of he might have some T-shirts of James or it might be a painting of James at his house somewhere. I've heard that from uh, Tim McMahon once on a podcast. So, yeah, I want to hear about what the relationship looks like between Daryl Morey and James Harden. Because if it's strong, maybe you na- navigate through this. But if it's not as strong as before, then it could be more contentious. And we've seen Harden take a more um, contentious approach towards his trade uh, demands. Yeah, and here's the thing about that. Um, like, the, this decision, I don't think, because you are right, they have a great relationship, a great relationship. This decision wasn't um, a Daryl Morey decision. I, I think that this is a decision came from the top came from ownership it's like hey we're not invested in him i mean they mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't say not invested in him what i mean is you know the ownership didn't want to give him a long-term deal yeah. you know what i mean i don't know if daryl wanted it to do it either but at the same time when you look at james it's kind of like he lost the step the sixers want to stay relevant also let's face it the salary cap thing is crazy now with this second apron and all this and that. Mm-hmm. They feel they can get someone next year. So I do feel like that this is going to have some sort of strain on the relationship because of James gave up $15 million last year yep. so the Sixers could go out and sign players. But at the same time, I don't think this was Daryl Morey waking up and saying, you know what? I'm sorry, James, but I'm just not going to give you the money. I feel like it was more or less ownership saying, look, this might not be a good investment for the franchise moving forward. Because, you know, Daryl and James are, you know, they're, they're, they're friends. Right. So, but I think that it, this be like, again, this, this wasn't Daryl. This was ownership. Oh, that's fair. That's, that's interesting though. It's always interesting when, I, I mean, ownership's stepping in, it's kind of deciding things. You know, front office. You know, maybe even thinking a different way. It, it does lead to some instability. Now, I, I think more than anything else, the bigger question is, what does this all mean for Joel Embiid? We've seen him tweet out another cryptic tweet. I mean, obviously, Joel loves Twitter, um, so I'm happy that Twitter is mostly fixed by the time Joel tweeted out the Watcher. Um, yeah, what what does this mean for 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 Joel right now? So, how do y'all feel about Joel playing for uh, the Raptors next season or the season after next? 
I mean, How y'all feel about that? I'd feel great, man. I, w- I want Nick Nurse to be on a rebuilding team. So I want him to tweet great. all the time when he's on the Raptors. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 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 So, so here's the thing. Like, you, you know, the, the funny, I'm uh, not funny, but I, I think that, that that tweet was, I'm assuming the tweet was cryptic, right? But, you know, the watcher. Well, basically he's watching what's going on, right? And you're seeing all these other teams, you know, signing players, players becoming available, Sure. Um, you know, Sixers are on like snail pace right about now. But when you look at Joel, I, I think that this could lead to Joel asking for a trade. Maybe mm-hmm. not this summer, but next summer. And the reason being is, let's face it. So, you know, you look at guys who um, top 75 players or, or MVPs, all-stars, whatever you have it, you know, their legacy, players' legacies are all about winning championships. Is all about, and the guys who win championships for the most part comes with having continuity, right? Mm. Joel Embiid has had so many co-stars or, or or teammates in his career that it's crazy. Like you had Ben Simmons, you had Jimmy Butler, you had uh, Tobias Harris, you had Al Horford. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And it comes to a point in time where you look at guys like, um, the Joker, you look at the Greek freak, mm-hmm. you know, these guys had co-stars with them throughout the same co-stars without the, throughout their career. So it might come a point where Joel's looking at it and he's saying, you know, I got to go somewhere else because it just seems like this is like musical cheers yeah. with the seven sixes. So I could see him, you know, like, of course, you know, Nick's a new coach, yep. you know, you got, know that Nick is, is good with making adjustments and everything like that. And so right now what you say is, let's see what Nick Nurse can do, and let's see how this works out. But if it doesn't work out, yes, I can see Joel asking for a trade. Listen, Masai, that phone better be active, man. That phone better be active. Um, yeah, let's talk about Nick. So, um, you know, it was interesting because I was thinking back to how it sort of ended here in Toronto, and there was, at least here in the local market, there was this big um, – discussion over Nick's press conference in Philadelphia. It was end of the yeah. season, and I believe you gave the question to Nick, and I think you just asked him, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was just sort of like, hey, um, you know, you've had this, like, whirlwind season, you know, you guys were going to trade all these guys at the trade deadline, but then ultimately you add, so kind of like, where's your head at right now? And then that's what Nick sort mm-hmm. of went on to talk about, you know, I've been here a long time, you know, we'll see what happens in the offseason, all that kind of stuff, and as luck would have it, he's in your city now. So, yeah, take us through the uh, the approach in terms of why Nick Nurse, you know, what's the relationship, you know, like between him and Daryl, and what are the expectations for Nick? Because it feels very much like Nick is being brought here to salvage the situation and hold it together. You're 100% right. He's bringing board here to salvage the situation and, and definitely bring it together. Like, you know, the 76ers felt like they were a quarter away from getting out of the second round, right? I mean, seriously, you know, you you think about how the Raptors had a rebuild, basically, before the 76ers, like, I mean, and still can't get out of the second. So when you look at Nick, they brought Nick here because, you know, Nick, you know, you guys know him as a coach better than I do. So you know his, his strengths. And those strengths are what the 76ers wanted. They felt like, with Nick Nurse coaching the team that they had last year, that they would have been a championship contender. They probably would have made it to the finals. 
That's what they felt like. Mm. So that's the reason why they got him. Now, the thing is, in his opening press conference, you know, he was asked a couple of times about, you know, the Sixers' um, inability to get out of the second round. And he said, look, this is something that we're going to address. Like, this is something that we're going to talk about. So, and, you know, there are certain people who, who say, well, look, why are you talking about that? You should be talking about winning the championship. Well, no, he was he was brought here to get the Sixers out of the second round. Of course, they want to win the title, but they haven't been out of the second round since 2001. So that's why Nick Nurse is the coach. So, yeah, he addressed it. Now, this whole thing impacts it, right? Because mm-hmm. now you're bringing him here. He's looking at it like, okay, you got Joel, you got all these other guys. And now, let's face it, you know, this is a point in time where you have a good idea of what your roster is going to be like, but he has no clue because of you don't know, like, are we going to get Dame Lillard? Are, are we going to change uh, trade James to, to Cleveland? I mean, not Cleveland, to the Clippers. And are, are we possibly going to get some role players? Or or, or am I are, – are, are the Clippers going to slip up and, and, and send us Kawhi? Like, or, or are we going to get Paul George? So this is a tough spot for him because, you know, fans don't look at it as if, okay, you don't have a roster. They look at it like, coach, you came in to get us to the to the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, it's just a, it's, it's a lot of pressure on him, but he doesn't even know what his team is going to look like. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Because apparently Philadelphia fans will trade Tobias Harris. Or a box of crumble yeah, cookies. Yeah, we wanted yeah. to ask you about this too. <laughs> what Keith. happened there? So, so too? this this quote, this interview, I'm sure, I'm sure, obviously, you saw went around where Tobias responded yeah. to the trade rumors and and said that you know Sixers fans will trade me for a box of uh, crumble cookies. Uh, first of all, have you ever had crumble cookies? Yeah, you know what's funny? Like after he said that, I, I went. There's a crumble cookie this place right around the corner from my house. So I went back. I just went there and and bought them for my family. And like here, and like mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's good advertising so, right there so, from Tobias. So yeah. yeah, so you went and got the box and was like, yeah, maybe I would trade Tobias for a <laughs> yeah. box of these. It's like these cookies are good. Expensive though, <laughs> they're a little expensive. But see, the thing is, like, the one thing people got to understand is that Tobias is like the pitch man for crumble cookies. So he oh, knew. Word? Oh, this that, was a spot. Oh, I thought he was just uh, a random mention. That that just ruins the whole thing for me now. No. Yeah, man. Like, you know what I mean? Tobias, yeah. Like, Tobias is the pitch man for Crumble Cookie J. Yeah, like... Yeah, like, yeah um, I know. I know this isn't getting as much, you know, talked about as as the James Harden trade market. But you know what? What is what is it looking like in terms of you know the team trying to trying to move Tobias Harris? You know, I, I think that if they can't get if they can't get James off the books, they probably could move him. But see, here's part of the thing with the Sixers want to do. The Sixers also down. They want to be extremely competitive, right? Mm-hmm. But what get in return for anybody for the most part is is um expiring contracts right so if they traded to bias they unless if, if they can go out there and get a ridiculous deal in return a deal that's going to get the opposing general manager fired for doing something stupid right they're not trying to trade for for someone right that's what they're saying right now so but what they want to get is they want to get expiring contracts because see what's going to happen is when you think about it, Tobias is making going to make thirty nine two. 
James Harden is going to make 35-6. Both of that is going to come off the books next year. So that's going to enable them to, if they keep Maxi, give him probably a max extension, right, or whatever. And, and it's also going to um, enable them to go out there and get a third max player. Mm. So that's their goal, right? So, But I can see them, if something happens, yeah, if they feel like they need to upgrade the team, then, yeah, I can see them trading Tobias. But, again, in order for it, unless it's a, someone with an expiring contract, it's going to have to be someone – who they deem that's like a, a deal that they would be foolish to turn down. So, you know what I mean? It, it, it's a lot of stuff. Like, think, think about it. Like, you would think that James would be traded by now, but everybody knows that the Sixers are overvaluing him and are also overvaluing Tobias Harris. And this is what everyone says in Toronto about, uh, you know, Pascal and, and OG, different styles of players, but, you know. Uh, there's that overvaluing turn that comes up real quickly. We we have about a minute here left. Um, the Raptors did make another acquisition uh, in, in free agency with Jalen McDaniels coming to Toronto. I know he was only briefly in Philadelphia, uh, but what can you tell us about Jalen's game? I think he fits in well there. You know, I, he he puts me in a mold of like a Boucher, um, a Pascal um, type of guy. And what I mean by that is, you know, six nine. You know, he, he they're they're mobile. He's mobile. Um, he's a better player than the Sixers gave him credit for. Okay. And the reason why he left, the reason why uh, Chicago, not Charlotte traded him, is because they knew that they probably couldn't afford him in free agency. Now again, you know, because they had other guys coming back that they had to pay. So it was one of those things where they didn't want to lose him for nothing. I feel like he could fit in well there. I felt like in Philadelphia, they really didn't allow him to showcase what he could do. And I feel like he would have done well under Nick Nurse. Mm. But if he doesn't have Nick, I think the Raptors is a great fit for him for the way they developed those 6'9 players. No, that's fair. That's fair. It's, uh, the Raptors definitely do have a type. Um, okay. Well, uh, Keith, appreciate you. Thank you for joining us on the program. And uh, we'll we'll definitely speak again over the course of the season. I think Alex wants to make you our official Nick Nurse correspondent. Yeah, we want to check in on on how Nick Nurse is doing in, in Philly and and the reception from from the fan base next season, Keith. So, if you'll accept, we love to make you the unofficial Nick Nurse correspondent of the show. All right, as long as you don't make me uh, spell, I mean, pronounce Fred's name, but I got it right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yo, actually, Keith, real, real quickly, is there any word on Nate Bjorgren joining Nick Nurse on the on the coaching staff in Philadelphia? I haven't heard that. A lot of people have been asking about that, but yeah. I haven't. And I was looking around. I went in there last week, and I didn't see him. <laughs> yeah, I, okay. So, right. Yeah. That's his guy, All though. Right. All right. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. All right, I appreciate you. Thank you, Keith. Hope All you right. have a good rest of the summer, man. All right, y'all. Thanks for calling. Thanks for having me on your show. Peace. Always, always. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, I've been your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to The Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We checked in what happened in Philadelphia. Next, we will go to Portland. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lewis. I continue to be joined by our producer and co-host, Alex Wong. We are working to get Sean Hyken uh, on the line from Portland. But uh, yeah, Alex, I keep seeing your timeline uh, at Stephen LeBron. I can't see my own timeline right now. Okay, well, my I, I, limit I, I, is exceeded. Can you read my own tweets to me? Yeah. I can read your tweets. And oh, uh, yeah, you you seem uninterested in, in more Damian Lillard news until something actually tangibly happens. So I just want to hear the trade that. and that's it. Walk I just want to hear the final result. You, you didn't know? like the loyalty talk? I think we've had a lot of back and forths with, with Dame and, you know, obviously wanting to be out, not wanting to be out. Mm-hmm. And I think the most egregious was he was on an IG Live recently, and I think he played the song Miami in the background. Yes, a song the, by Will Smith, which I, I mean, yeah. let me look it up because I'm not that familiar with the 2000, early 2000s hip-hop. And then the Athletics' uh, uh, Sam Amick, I think, had to get a statement from Dame's people yeah, yeah, yeah. that it was just uh, a coincidence. So You told me this song came out in 1997. Yeah. Uh, anyways, we do have Sean Hyken of the Rose Garden Report. Yeah. Joining us on the line. Sean, Sean. do you casually Sean. listen to Miami by Will Smith, a song released in 1997? I did in 1997. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I can't say that's a song I've put on a lot since then. It doesn't just come on naturally in your Spotify shuffle or your Apple Music No, shuffle? it does not. No, yeah. it does not. Oh, yeah. Man. yeah, but so, you know, as everyone knows by now, or maybe not, you know, over the weekend, Dame finally officially uh, made his trade request and for, oh, where? Any, for anyone that wants to, for anyone that wants to follow, um, you know, along with with you know Trailblazers news in general, and obviously this Dame trade saga, uh, make sure you subscribe to Sean's uh, Rose Garden report. Sean, obviously you've been following the Blazers, following Dame. Um, you know, walk us through the uh, the Cliff's Notes version of how we got here. Well, I think there was a thought going into the season. That both from Dame's end and from the team's end, I don't think there was like there. There's been this, uh, there's been this kind of thought that has that has bubbled up, and you're going to probably start to see this from you know various outlets and different you know people that are close to him. Like this is you're going to start to see this being pushed, but they were on the same page about we want to build a contender around you. And you know, they I think I think there was an there was an idea that. You know, once the season started to go sideways this year, they did what they had done the year before and shut him down and said, you know, look, we're going to try to improve our draft pick. And the idea, I think, was that they were going to, you know, look to move the pick in order to, you know, get, you know, more of a win now guy. I'm sure you guys in Toronto talk a lot about potentially trading like Siakam for that pick or something. I'm Sure. sure that's something you guys talked about a lot. I don't know how that, how much that was really an option for Portland, but that's you know something we can get into somewhere else. But I think where things got complicated was when the pick in the lottery moved up to number three, because I mean I think at that point and you know Joe Crone and the general manager kind of felt like like you can trade the fifth pick for like a guy and yeah. you're fine. Yeah, you cannot trade the third pick unless you're getting like a superstar back, because especially once Scoot Henderson fell to number three, that would be like if he had traded the third pick and traded like the chance to draft somebody like Scoot Henderson for like Brandon Ingram or Zach Levine or something like that, then that would have been a pretty irresponsible move to make as a GM, even if the goal is building around Dame. And I think. Dame's people, and this is quite understandable. Like, I, I don't blame Dame's people. Like, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing about this whole thing. I don't blame either side for the way that they have handled the last month or so. I don't blame Joe Cronin for deciding that 
keeping the third pick and not trading it for somebody who isn't like a real needle mover that's going to make you a title contender is the right way to do to handle it for the future of the franchise. And I also don't blame Dame for feeling however he feels about it. I think he has every right to feel like he's ta- like he's Brett Favre and they just drafted Aaron Rodgers. I don't know how much of a football audience you have in Canada, but if that analogy makes sense, that's kind of what happened here. Mm-hmm. And so now Dame, you know, would, has officially you know made it known that he would like to be traded and that there's one specific team that he wants to go to. The problem is that that team that he wants to go to really doesn't have anything good at all to trade. So you can kind of see what the issue is here. You're not excited about Tyler Hero? You don't want to see Hero Simon's backcourt with Scoot and also Sharp and uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's. I don't think that's really. I don't think Tyler Hero making thirty million dollars a year when all of their good young players are guards. I don't think that's something that really moves the needle. I also don't think two future first round picks in twenty twenty eight and twenty thirty from a franchise that has missed the playoffs four times in twenty years. I don't think that's really getting them excited about trading Damian Lillard either. Mm. What about the future two time MVP Nikola Jovic? <laughs> I mean, he does. He does have. He does have. Uh, 10 out of 11 letters in his name, the same as Nikola Jokic. So I guess that's close enough. But I mean, it's you, you see, you see what the issue is here. Like yeah, of mm-hmm. course. he wants to, he's saying he only wants to go to one team and that team doesn't have anything to trade. Like if, if this, it's it, like, it would be one thing. Like I think this situation could be resolved a lot more easily if it was like a Brooklyn Phoenix thing where Phoenix actually has real stuff to trade. Like yeah. Brooklyn, like Kevin Durant went to the Nets and not only said trade me or fire the coach and GM, but also only wanted to go to one team. And they were still able to get back Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, and four first round picks or whatever the amount of picks that they ended up getting back was Paul George, like very last minute, this number of years ago, went to Sam Presti and said, I want to go to the Clippers to play with Kawhi. And, you know, Sam Presti still got back Shea Gilgis, Alexander and a million first round picks. Like, Trading a guy, you know, getting a guy to a team he wants to go to, you can do if you can get real stuff back. But if Joe Cronin, the Blazers general manager, gives Damian Lillard away to Miami for that package, like, yeah, he's been, he's been, I'll put it this way, he's been acting the whole offseason like he's doing what's best for the franchise and not what's best for Dane. If he were to then turn around and say, okay, well, we've been, you know, we, we made the pick. We haven't made win now upgrades because we're trying to look out for the future of the franchise. But now we're going to trade Dame for basically, you know, 30 cents on the dollar just to get him where he wants to go. Like, I don't I don't think that would really go well for him. Right. I mean, like, I, I would argue he's done right by Dame. He's got the long-term money. He's got the guaranteed money. Obviously, he's earned that. He's deserved that. Um, and unless he signs, trades him to, like, some sort of very non-contending situation. Like, you could argue that there has to be some sort of balance that's reached. You can't just insist on going to one spot that doesn't have great pieces back for Portland. Like, you, you can't essentially have your cake and eat it, too. And I think that uh, that's probably reasonable to pretty much everybody. Um, I don't know specifically in Portland, but every outside of the situation would probably understand. And, yeah, if more teams were expanded, could a team that has a previous history uh, of trading for... Uh, a free or, or a star player who wanted to go a specific spot, but uh, you know we intercepted them. Um, could could a team <laughs> like Toronto potentially get involved? Could could we be a dark horse? Even give us some hope, Sean. We we need content for like two weeks to speculate on this. How attached are they to Scotty Barnes? Is that is that is that the beginning and ending of the conversation? 
I mean, I think if you're trade if you're trading Damian Lillard, you're clearly going into a rebuild. Mm-hmm. You want, you know, when you're doing that, you want picks and you want, you know, young players that are like actual blue, like like you mentioned. Yeah, you want rookie Jokic. of the year winners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want so- you want somebody that you can actually say like. And I know Scotty Barnes didn't have a great second year, but like I think long term they. There's still some thought that like he's going to be a good player, and obviously he had a great rookie year. But you want a young player, you want at least one. I'll, I'll say this: you want at least one blue chip thing, mm. whether it be a young player of that caliber or a pick that you know is going to be a good pick, unlike those Miami picks. Right. Right. And I don't know. I don't know what Toronto's pick situation is off the top of my head. Do they have all their firsts that they can trade? Do they have? Uh, we have teams? one future uh, first that's been earmarked for San Antonio for the last uh, three out of the last four drafts, I believe. But one of them okay. one for Kawhi. That one's completely fine. The other two have gone for Thad Young and um, Jakob Pertl. So, but beyond that, it's it's all there. You know, you could, we could swap. How many? How many? How many like future firsts and swaps are we talking? about? I think we can trade three, um, and then swaps. I think that's more can. than Miami has, and those will probably be better picks than Miami's. All picks. right, we're in the lead. We're already so. In the lead. But basically, yeah, like if they're gonna do a deal with a team. They need a thing back as far as like a one blue chip sure. asset, whether it's like like Utah is a team that's coming up that, that has come up as a team that might be interested in getting in the running in kind of the same way of Danny Ainge saying, you know what, screw it. Even if he doesn't want to go there, we'll take the swing. Mm. They have all those unprotected Minnesota picks. And we you could probably make a good bet that those Minnesota picks are going to be pretty good picks. So those would be like. You, it, I, I would imagine that Joe Cronin, and I haven't, I haven't talked to Joe since all of this went down, so I don't, I'm not getting this directly from him. But uh, the, I, I would imagine that what they'd be looking for is either a young player of like the caliber of a Scotty Barnes that you can say we have a core now of Scotty Barnes, Scoot Henderson, and Shade and Sharp, and that's what we're going to build around, and that's going to be like our future group. Mm-hmm. or a pick that you know is going to be a good pick. Like, that's the type of thing I think they'll be looking for if they do eventually, you know, make a deal here. Yeah, so it's not realistic. I mean, I didn't think it would be realistic if you substituted OG or or Pascal in the situation. I mean, Well, they tried to get OG multiple times. They talked pretty seriously with Toronto about OG last year. Right. And walk us, walk, walk, us, walk us through that conversation or what that looked like, because my understanding was it was the seventh pick, which ultimately became sharp. It was the seventh pick plus stuff. It was hmm. my understanding, and I think I think they would have I think they would have maybe said yes if it was just the seventh pick straight across for OG. My understanding is that it was the seventh pick, Josh Hart, Nasir Little, and a future first is what Toronto wanted. Okay, which hmm. is kind of a lot to give up for OG Ananobi. So, hmm. I mean, I think you can understand why Portland walked away at that point. And you know, OG, I'll, I'll also say this: I think. I, I haven't gotten this confirmed, but I think on Friday night, uh, they tried to re-engage again on OG. Interesting. Once, once Fred Van Vliet, because I think, I think if they had been able to like get something done with OG, I think that would have been enough to get Dame to say, okay, we're good here. But because you know that's a guy that Dame has wanted for a while. And honestly, mm-hmm. if you know if he were to go to Toronto, I think part of the appeal for him would be playing with OG because that's his boy. Like he has guys around the league that he likes and he wants to play with, and OG right. is one of them. But once Fred Van Vliet walked, and you know, it was you know, Masai, it was kind of looking like a disaster offseason for Toronto, where like, oh, he turned down all these offers for Fred Van Vliet at the deadline and then just let him walk for nothing. There was an opening there where I think Portland called 
and said, you know, Anthony Simons plus whatever picks. Mm-hmm. Is that enough to get something done? Obviously, it was not. And then Masai pivoted and just signed Dennis Schroeder as like his replacement point guard. We're good now. But we're fine. <laughs> but that was, I think that was, a, I think that was like a last ditch thing that happened on, yeah, uh, on Friday night. So I don't, I don't know if OG. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it would, it would have to be there would be a lot of salary that would have to get sent back. That sure. could be what that could probably be whatever filler it needs to be, as long as it's not like bad long term money. But like. No, the we, we have thing. the Raptors have expiring contracts, so they can right like, exactly. If, if it was like, a Scotty based framework, you would have to match a lot of salaries. So it would have to be one of these like one for four or five players outgoing and be like sure, yeah, Gary Trent you coming back the, to you and Thad Young, Otto Porter, Thad Young, Chris Boucher. Right, you can make the, you can make the money work. You can make the money work. However, the important stuff I think would be what they're getting back as far as young players and draft assets. For sure, for sure. I mean, that is interesting. Um, that is that is interesting. I mean, look, listen. I, th- I think for the Raptors, like last year the, at the trade, you know, at, at this point in the in in the off season, it was Kevin Durant who was available, and the Raptors were kind of linked. And ultimately, realistically, everybody was put on the table for a guy like KD, except for Scotty right. Barnes. Now, of course, I would say Scotty's stock at that time and the enthusiasm around him at that point was a lot higher than it is currently. Um, even though I would say he had relatively similar seasons, um, mm-hmm. but still, I, I would say that you know if it wasn't sort of made available for KD. It wouldn't be necessarily made available for Dame. But I think one thing I would like to clarify too is just I'd love to hear from your perspective of Dame as his season last year because like this is not a case of, oh, he's 33. He's, you know, like in KD's case was like frequently injured. Like Dame is very healthy and also like coming off one of his best years, if not All his NBA best first year. Team. So I would love for you to describe like if the Raptors were to get involved and obviously make something really drastic like trading uh, Scotty and giving up on it right now to get back a player like Dame. Like, can you just detail how good Dame was this past season? Well, I think the thing people, and I mean, we talked about this a lot during the season, but I think the thing that people have to remember is the season before he had that core muscle surgery and that yep. was an injury that he had been playing through and just gutting through for like three or four years before that, when he was playing at the level that he was playing at the previous three or four years, he was playing on that basically with this thing nagging no matter what. And then at, at during, during the last season, the 21, 22 season, it got so bad that he just decided to shut it down and have surgery. Mm-hmm. He came and that, and that's the type of surgery. It's not like he was coming back from like a torn ACL or a torn Achilles or something where it's like going to take him a whole year to, you know, be back to where he was like Jamal Murray missed the whole season uh, the previous year after he had the ACL. And then he came back this year and he was fine, but he had to miss a whole season. This is like a six week recovery where, you know, oh, okay. you have the six week, rec- you, you know, you have the surgery. It's like a six week rehab process and then you're fine. Dame had that taken care of. And then, yeah, you saw kind of what happened this past year. Now they shut him down towards the end of the season once they decided they were going to tank. But those were not games that he had to miss because he was injured. Those yeah. were those were there were some there was some, you know, things going on with the injury report there. That was that yeah. was not yeah, that, that was, was the not, uh, that was the Jonathan Williams era. Yeah, we, yeah, the Jonathan Williams era, and he's about to be on the Blazers summer league team, helping them defend the title. So, I, yeah, I can only imagine most of that roster that was on the, the main roster would be going to the summer league roster. Um, uh, what about Scott? Justin? Justin Manaya was Bro, one of the guys they that? Said towards the I end. I think of that's the, the seventh pitcher on the Jays right now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh, I, you know, they actually Ooh. do have, like, they have a pretty formidable summer league squad. This I year, would hope. It's like, yeah. well, so like, so Scoot Henderson yeah. obviously is going to be playing. 
Shaden Sharp, I think, is going to do the – he's on the roster. I think he's probably only going to play one or two games. It's like – so he's doing, like, the Brandon Ingram second year, like, play two games, and then they pull him because he doesn't need to be there anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, they they drafted two other rookies this year, Chris Murray with the 23rd pick sure. and Rayon Rupert, this French kid with the 43rd pick. They're both going to be there. Uh, some of their other young players from last season, like I think there's like seven or eight guys that are, all, as of right now, on the actual roster that are going to be on the Summer League team. So I think they have a pretty good chance to go back-to-back and repeat here. <laughs> hey, man, that was pretty lit, man. Shout out to Trenton Wofford. That was uh, it's very cool. For yeah. a moment for them. Um, okay, well, you, we mentioned it, or you mentioned it earlier, but, you know, there may have been conversations um, between the Raptors and, and Portland in regards to OG and, and, and Pascal. I mean, not me, may. There definitely were conversations. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would suppose, I suppose we covered a little bit in terms of OG. It was a little bit closer last year at the, at, at the trade or at, at the draft. Um, this year, obviously, there's a bit of a last second push, didn't really get through. What's Portland's interest in a guy like Pascal Siakam? Uh, that's complicated. There's a so a couple of things there. One, and you know, there have been reports out there that, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but mm-hmm. he was putting it out there that, or his agent or whatever was putting it out there that if he gets traded anywhere, he's not going to resign because he wants to be in Toronto. Yep. So last, like last summer, when they traded for Jeremy Grant, he was they traded for him on an expiring contract and there was kind of at the time of the trade, like an understanding and like a handshake agreement that they're not just trading for him as a one-year rental. They're trading for him with the intention of signing him long-term, which obviously happened pretty shortly into free agency that like then that deal, people were freaking out about how big that contract was. That deal has been done since January and I've been writing and reporting it at that number since January. Mm. But that was, like, agreed to basically at the time of the trade that, like, we bring you over, we'll take care of you, and you're not going to, like, go into free agency and test the market. If Pascal had been, you know, willing to give them assurances that they'd be able to keep him long term, I think those conversations might have gotten a little bit further. But even then, I think they would be worried that with this new CBA with the second apron and all that stuff, they're already paying Dame a ton of money. They've already basically promised to pay Jeremy Grant what they ended up paying him. So you're paying Dame, Jeremy, and Pascal basically enough to get you into that second apron, and then you can't really do anything else with the roster as far as, you know, the mid-level exception and signing buyout guys and the, the frozen draft picks and all that other stuff that comes into it with that. So I think from there, I think, I think it was like from both ends. I think Pascal clearly was putting it out there that he didn't want to re-sign anywhere else long-term because he wants to be in Toronto. And then Portland, I think, also was a little bit hesitant about uh, do they want to max – Pascal out potentially on top of what they're paying Dame and how that would limit the rest of the roster. So I think it was just really not, not kind of talent wise. Yeah. He would have been great here, but I think in terms of like that stuff, like the political stuff and the financial stuff, I think it was just not really a match from either side. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason why I thought the number three, I mean, there was so much discussion online and whatever. That's, that's what this is for, but I just didn't, it didn't seem realistic. I didn't even ever really thought that, uh, you know, that was something that you could sort of like fret over. Like, oh my God, the choice between Scoot and Pascal is like, no, nah, I don't think Scoot's in your books, man. I think you, I think you, the choice is Pascal or, or trade Pascal elsewhere. But um, yeah, that would be, that would have been interesting. Well, I mean, I suppose, yeah. So what what, what is in store for, for Portland? I mean, if, if you had to predict where Dame would go, um, if it wasn't Miami, let's just say, if he didn't get his way and ultimately go to Miami, like, you know, do you have a sense of, some other dark horse candidates that might emerge or maybe not even dark horse, but what about Brooklyn, for example? 
it depends on what Brook how how invo- how motivated Brooklyn is to get involved. They have, they certainly have more draft capital than than Miami does. Fair. And I think it would be I think there would be like not just like I think I think it would probably take every single pick that they have, not like and I would say it's like half of those picks are for Dame and the other half are the tax for taking on Ben Simmons's contract that would probably need to be oh, happening right. to make the money work. That's the that that's the thing. But I don't know how invo- I don't know how interested Brooklyn really is in giving all their stuff up for Dame. I think they're trying to hold on until like you know two years from now is like Luka Doncic is available and they have better assets or something like that. I think I think after the my sense, I mean they could still get involved and obviously Dame and Mikael Bridges are close. That's Mikael Bridges, by the way, is one guy that I think Portland would have seriously considered trading the third pick for if Brooklyn right. put him on the table. But I kind of think both the Blazers and Dame messed up any chance they had of making a deal with how vocal they've been over the last couple of months, because at his exit interview in April, Joe Cronin basically telegraphed that they're going to be, I think his words were like, he said this both at the trade deadline and at the end of the season, he said, we're going to be ridiculously aggressive about pushing our chips in. And when we make that deal, people are going to say we overpaid, but we're just super motivated to put a team around Dane. When the GM says that on the record, like, why is any team that he's negotiating with not going to just, like, ask, you know, make totally unreasonable asks when he knows <laughs> yep. that he has to say yes? And then from Dame's end, going on that Showtime interview and openly saying that he wants to play in Brooklyn or Miami, like, I don't think that really helped, helped matters either. So I think both Portland and Dame share some blame in, like, why there was just no deal to be had with a third pick in a way that maybe there could have been. But uh, I think right now... I mean, right now, I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to shake out. I, I th- things have been pretty quiet as far as like actual trade negotiations that I've heard since Saturday when the trade request actually came down. But I can tell you that the Blazers right now are operating, and you saw that statement that Joe Cronin put out uh, after Dame's trade request about how we're committed to winning and we're going to do what's best for the franchise in that way. They are trying like hell to find any deal other than Miami because Miami has nothing. And I think Joe knows that if he makes that Miami deal, that's not going to be good for him. So I don't know. And I, I think that Dame, you know, I know Dame very well. I've covered him for a long time. I think that there are other teams that he could be talked into if Joe comes to him and like, like, I don't think they would Blake Griffin him and just like send him to Detroit or something like that. But I think there are, there is a there is a middle ground where I think they could say, "Hey, this is a good situation. It's not Miami, but this is a good situation. You'll have a chance to compete, and we're yeah. not getting thirty cents on the dollar in a trade package." What What do you think? And I think there are things that Dame could be talked into. And honestly, even if there's things he can't be talked into, like you know, you mentioned the Kawhi thing, you know, but that that was a little bit diff- of a different thing because Masai knew that it was a one year rental and he was willing to take the swing. But the other one that I kind of come back to a little bit before that was Paul George when he wanted to get out of Indiana and he kind of made it clear that he only wanted to go to the Lakers. Mm -hmm. And then Indy turned around and traded him to Oklahoma city. They got a really good package back because they got Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis. So that's two guys who eventually became all-stars with them. That's a really good package to get back for somebody like Paul George, especially on a one-year deal. And Paul George, like obviously, you know, he only wanted to go to the Lakers. He didn't want to go to Oklahoma city, but once he got there, he liked it and he stayed like he, re- I mean, he did, he did end up getting his way to the Clippers later, but Oh, they had Paul resign. George day in, in, in OKC. I remember. 
but he did re- he did resign yeah, when everybody kind of thought it was just a one year rental and he was just going to go to the Lakers. He did resign. Yeah. So there are ways that like you can trade somebody to not the one place they say they want to go, and they end up you know getting talked into it. And you know with with Dame like if he really wanted full control over where he goes, he did not have to sign that extension. Last That's time. true. Or he could have got the so, Bradley Beal no trade at least. Well, uh, no, he actually couldn't have because oh, okay. Because the the Bradley Beal though trade you can only get I actually looked this up because I was kind of wondering why he didn't get one but you can only get the no trade on a new contract you can't right, get the right, no right. trade as an extension on an existing contract so if Dame had been a free agent last summer and re-signed with the Blazers on a five year deal he could have gotten a no trade but since it was an extension on his current contract he couldn't mm, that's fair I mean listen it's not too hard to talk Dame into a situation where it's like you know you like OG already. Right, yeah. you know what Pascal can do in this league. Jakoproto is a pretty good starting center, um, or at least yeah. average. You know, that's but, a that's a. I you mean, know? you put you just you 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 replace Dennis Schroeder with Dame on that team. That's that's pretty good. I mean, listen, you upgrade from Fred to Dame. To all yeah. of, all of a sudden, the Raptors might actually make a lot of sense again. Yeah, that would be. I I mean, again, how. Attached is Masai to yeah. Scotty Barnes. I mean, I, I don't think this is going to happen. But again, we will make. No, this, I don't either. We I will make a focus of this topic uh, on our show going forward. Totally. No, I think I think the Utah thing is interesting because they have yeah. all those picks, and then also sure, yeah. like Dame played. Dame played at Weber State in college, so he's you know has ties to the area, and you know that team's that team's pretty decent. Like they have yeah, Markin, yeah. and they have like they have they have guys like. It's not like he would be going to like Detroit where that team is just like not gonna be good. You know, thinking back on the Clippers situation, they really did do Blake crazy dirty because they yeah, did the I mock mean, retirement ceremony. Remember they had his they, they had, had his the face t-shirts. On, yeah, yeah, he was along the t-shirts like, with the, the Al, I think Alex, you and I have talked about the, that t-shirt before, the with like him with like MLK and Muhammad Ali oh and like God. And then Blake Griffin. Yeah. Detroit Piston, Blake Griffin. And then like five, like six months into the deal, they just trade him to Detroit. Like, oh man, that's the funny thing too, because it's like, oh wow, how did the Clippers do this? No one's ever going to deal with the Clippers again. And then, like a couple of years later, they get Kawhi yeah, Paul George. Matter. That's the other thing. 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 There's all so, this. Like, you don't have that's to. The, always that's the do thing right, that man. that's the that's the thing that you're starting to see come out from from Dame's side. Like you're starting to see, like, oh, like the one the one that I'm already starting to see is, you know, who's going to be watching how the Blazers treat Dame on the way out. Is Scoot Henderson. And if he sees him sending <laughs> somewhere he doesn't just... want to go, then in eight years he's gonna want to leave. Okay, okay, well, there's gonna be a different right. ownership and front office in the in eight years. I don't think I, I think you can really worry about maybe a guy wants to leave in eight years, and therefore you have to trade Dame to Miami. It's not like free agents ever come here anyway. It's like, oh, they won't be able to get free agents in Portland if they trade Dame not to Miami. Cool. Yeah. All the free agents that they've signed before are just not gonna come here anymore. Okay. <laughs> players just go where they want to go with players that they want to play with. Yeah. Like that's more yeah, important yeah. than anything else. Like I will say there have been guys that have wanted to come to Portland before. Like I mentioned Paul George when he was trying to get out of Indy. He would have been open to coming to Portland to play with Dame. That would have looked pretty Jimmy good. Jimmy Butler when he was trying to get out of Minnesota that looked wanted pretty good. to come play with Dame. In both cases, CJ McCollum would have gotten the deal done, and their person who was the general manager at the time was so attached to CJ McCollum that he wouldn't even like entertain the conversation. Was this Neil O'Shea? Yes. I like how you protected, you lightly protected uh, his name. (laughs) It's like a top one protected pick. It's like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, we all know what the deal is at that point. Like, like, Neil wanted Dame to leave so he could build around CJ. 
Okay. All right. So you're going to call joking. him author of the new CBA. I'm not joking. That's, yeah, that's actually really, that's really That's tough. like wanting to get rid of Steph really to build tough. around Clay. No, that's not, I don't even give him <laughs> it's that, It's not man. even that's, on that level, I'm, not, I'm sorry, honest. man. I know, I know CJ was a really good player, and is a really good player. But and, a great, on, and a great MVPA well, president. Well, yeah. the, 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 the difference is that Neil didn't discover Dane. Neil discovered CJ. I feel, I feel like the important thing yeah. with and yeah, I mean there 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 are there are GMs that care more about being right about their draft picks than they do about building a contender, and I would put that one in that category. That's fair. It's an important lesson, Sean Hyken. That's the that is the important lesson. I think the thing a lot of people yeah. you know need to need a lot of fans need to realize is that most front office executives' goal is not to build the build build a championship team; is to protect their own job. That's why teams are so eager to trade their best players for picks and young players because then they can go to ownership and say hey you can't fire me i have five years i have to start this rebuild for five years and that just buys them job security it's fair it's fair sean hyken i appreciate you um og Stephen lebron radio guest too oh yeah that's alex is my guy we literally go back like 10 years no i love you sean and and um you you're gonna be at summer league will's gonna be at summer league you guys gotta connect all right, yeah, we will. It. We will definitely. No, I'm, I'm excited there, to see but... your entire team at the, <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> Las Vegas Summer League. Honestly, man, man like I better see everybody first... there, man. I'm looking forward to see Jonathan Williams in person because still Honestly, refuse to dude, believe he's like, real. That's that's gonna be probably the most anticipated that that game yeah. on the ninth, the the Portland San Antonio game. Oh yeah, yeah. The Wemby Scoot game. I think I'll I, be there. I, my understanding is that Wemby is gonna play the first two games, which are Charlotte and Portland. I think the league and ESPN kind of leaned on the Spurs on that and was like, hey, you don't have to play them in any other games, but yeah. could you maybe work with us on those two? That's fair. That's fair. No, because I'm looking forward to the rematch because the last one was also in Vegas, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I, so. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that too. And, you know, it's going to, it's going to be, and honestly, I'm, I'm excited. Bro, that's going to be your play. Like, things- that's going to be your playoffs for, for the year, unfortunately. Oh, they're going to, the Blazers between the Summer League Championship and, like, I think they have a chance to make a real run in the mid, in the midseason tournament, too. Like, mm. I think those are their two championships. The man. midseason tournament. All right. Well, enjoy the Carabao Cup. But uh, anyway, Sean, I appreciate you. Thanks for your time. All right. Appreciate you, the Sean. The Carabao Cup is great. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> that's what it is. Telling you. Is that you? Did you come up with that? <laughs> no, no. That's actually what they play for in England. It's, it, Carabao is like, Red Bull, like an energy drink or whatever. But okay, the cup so is I'm called the soccer, Carabao I'm Cup. Guy, so I don't know. Yeah, but it does sound funny because no one actually cares about the Carabao. No, that's cup. the thing yeah, because yeah. like that—that that is who's going to win the title is which teams like like a team like Portland, assuming they trade Dame and they're rebuilding. Like that's the kind of thing where you can say like, yeah, let's get up and let's go all out for this. Whereas like the Lakers aren't going to get up for that for that because like LeBron needs to save himself for the actual playoffs. So no, that that actually is a great way of putting it. Yeah. All right. All right, Sean. Appreciate you. We'll talk soon. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate you. Okay, we're going to take our last break. I've been your host, Willu. Uh, you've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, Michael Grange, Sportsnet. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Liu. Continue to join my producer and co-host, Alex Wong. Our final guest of the day, everyone knows him, Michael Grange, Sportsnet. Grange, how are you spending uh, the long weekend? <laughs> um, 
I guess I've been um, spending a lot of time looking at my phone and trying to make Twitter, Twitter work, and uh, then you know, squeezed in a game of golf or two. So, no complaints. Yourself? I mean, uh, you, you know how it goes. You know the, this. It's like asking like NBA like reporters like, "Hey, what'd you do over Christmas?" It's like I don't know. I was probably in Philadelphia or like, you know, uh, <laughs> taking a trip to you know some random city in the United States. Like it's 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 the NBA calendar is the calendar I've subscribed to, not necessarily the calendar that everyone else is on, uh, hence us working right now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, listen, obviously a very busy uh, weekend already for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, you know, Fred walking, we'll start there. Um, what was the Raptors' negotiating position um, going into that, and why did Fred ultimately choose to go to Houston? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think... Um... I think almost literally from the moment that, um, you know, it was clear that Fred was not going to accept the offer of an extension. And and there was an offer of an extension. Like it was there to be, to be had. Um, I think it was clear that Fred was looking for $30 million. Mm -hmm. And I think he was looking for, something around a hundred million dollars. Like, I think those were kind of the two figures that were important to him. So three, 100 is what he's looking for. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think the Raptors were kind of, you know, it's been, been out there, you know, three years, 30, three years, 90. And and that's kind of where they're at. I think they, you know, I think they would have gone to four years, maybe a a non guaranteed fourth year or for, you know, for, um, somewhere around 10 million on the fourth year, like a partial guarantee, Um, you know, and and I think that's where they just sort of drew a line. And my understanding is the meeting was really good. Like it was really positive. Like there's no acrimony or anything like that. And, you know, Fred, to his credit, like he caught lightning in a bottle, like, like the circumstances when you think about it, that had to line up Mm -hmm. that he could get a full max um, and learn three years on a full max it's it's pretty amazing, right? Like if, if Houston was a less dysfunctional, I shouldn't say dysfunctional, but, you know, if they were other, something other than the NBA's, I've been calling like the kindergarten or the daycare center, yep. um, you know, then they, you know, they might have looked elsewhere. If there was, um, you know, a deeper group of point guards, well, maybe Fred might have been, might not have been, you know, the number one option. If James Harden had done what most people thought he was going to do, and I know the Raptors sort of thought he was going to do, um, then, you know, the Raptors position would have been, would have been good. I think Fred would have been happy to come back. It just ended up being a few things that kind of uh, tilted the balance and, and, and all of that. So the position was, to answer your question, is, you know, I think they really, I think three years 90 was good. I think they could have gone four years, a non-guarantee, fourth, and maybe got to it, got it to 100 guaranteed. But... You know that's that's where they were that's where they were at, and Fred had an opportunity to do a lot more than that, and and he took it, and I don't think there's any hard feelings. Yeah, well, I mean, so the day happens, right? Like, obviously, I feel like the structure of um, the day, I think, it matters too. So it seemed like Fred was taking meetings with uh, both Toronto and Houston in LA. Basically, I start at the start of you know the 6 p.m. window. Is that correct? That's yeah. That's I was told that Fred met with uh, Toronto at 6 p.m. or 3 p.m. LA time. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, 
and 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 Houston thereafter. Although I've, I think some other people have said it was the reverse, but you know, I was told it was the 3 p.m. meeting, and um, you know, and 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 I think all along Houston, the two years '90 was or the two years '83 was was pretty evident. But um, you know, I think once it became clear to Houston that they were going to have to that there was you know, Toronto was going to get something done for some version of a fourth year that Houston just threw in the third year. And I think that again, caught some people off guard sure. and, and um, it was done. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was just, it was, it was done. I mean, I think the, the good news is, is that they had, uh, they had Jakob done before that. And, mm. um, and so you know, he wasn't going was to the Spurs. Sp- he wasn't going back to the Spurs Grange. I think there was some competition for that. Like, I don't okay. think it was, I don't think that was like fiction, you know, where the Spurs going to do four years, 80 million. No, <laughs> I don't think that was there, but, um, but I think if things had really unraveled, you know, I think Jakob had options, but um, in the end, you know, that's, this by was going to be the best contract he could get. And, and it's a really good one. Four years, 80 million player option on the fourth. That's, that's, that's pretty much the full boat. That's, uh, it's, it's definitely pretty good for him. Um, so when, when does Dennis Schroeder come into this mix? Um, I think what usually happens in these situations is, um, you know, there, there's communication beforehand and, you know, technically they're not talking money, but who knows exactly what gets said. Um, but it's kind of like, listen, this is where I think we're going. If we aren't going to... if you know, if something happens, we're going to turn to you and we would need to know right away if, um, you know, this is, this is something you would want to do. In other words, like, I think when you're in that next tier of free agent, it's more like, you know, you don't get a chance to kind of negotiate all that much. It's kind of like, this is what we have for you. Um, you know, maybe, you know, let us know if this would be amenable. Mm-hmm. And so I think when they knew that Fred wasn't going to happen, um, which, from my understanding, like it was in in real time. Like, I mean, I think there was conversations to the effect of, you know, like there was actually a decision made that night versus, you know, a lot of times this stuff is all uh, done well beforehand. Right. And so I think, um, you know, I know they had had some conversations with Gabe Vincent in the lead up to that, and they, they for sure could have had Gabe Vincent if they'd been willing. Um, but, you know, I think there was, they they had I think Schroeder was their first preference if Fred didn't didn't pan out. Hmm. Okay, well that's that's reassuring. I, mean, I think I think Gabe does. I think Gabe is definitely a better shooter, but I think Schroeder has a, a longer history of being a productive NBA player. And I do I, I am a little bit leery of just the guys you signed out of Miami. Not to say that those guys aren't good on their own or that they don't develop, but you know I, I feel like Miami's system is so strong that um, you know it's a little bit hard to tell sometimes like. Um, who's really good out of there and who's not necessarily good. But, um, yeah, in, in any case, so I, I guess the Raptors, that was the plan B. They moved towards it with Dennis Schroeder. Does that does that suggest to you? Like, I, I mean, we had conversations, obviously, leading up to, you know, the draft and obviously leading up to free agency Grange, and, and we kind of talked about, you know, the signs are that the Raptors want to run it back. It seems like even in the negotiations with Fred, that was essentially wanted to run it back. The, can you run it back with Dennis Schroeder in, in, in this estimation? Or is it sort of just like, okay, we have a guy now, we have somebody, and then if we want to pivot further, let's say we want to move Pascal, that option is still on the table for us. Yeah, I think that 
in a way, I don't think things have changed. <laughs> you know, oh, okay. um, cool. it, they still kind of think that that they can they can run it back. That there's a reason there's a reason for it. Um, in other words, that they you know I think they really um, are kind of I think they do believe in what they have. I will say this though, um, and I kind of mentioned this on Twitter the other day. Uh, there is a lot of noise around Pascal Siakam. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't know how close, I shouldn't say this, you know, I'm not convinced that that, that a, a, an extension for Pascal Siakam from the Raptors is automatically forthcoming. I don't, uh, you know, I think that, that, that there is a real possibility that there is some movement there. Mm. Um which isn't, you know, I'm not saying that he wouldn't come back as the Raptor, that, you know, that it's, that there's irre- irreconcilable differences or anything like that. I just think that um, they are really examining, as are, I think, you know, I think Paxel's position is pretty clear. I think he wants to come to Toronto. He can get his, the largest version of an extension here in Toronto. Um, we've all seen the connections he has to community here. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, I think uh, his first choice for sure. Yep. But um, I think that there is kind of a, you know, a, still a discussion happening as to, you know, what shape this team is going to take. And if they are, we said this many times, if there is going to be a move, I think it is going to involve Pascal Siakam. And it could happen in conjunction with an extension or it could happen in advance of an extension. And I think... Um, you know, I think it really is – the discussion really is about how to turn this team seamlessly and most efficiently into uh, something that, that kind of is a little more uh, built around Scotty. And um, and I think, you know, in that context, like even in, with, with Dennis Schroeder coming on board, I think it's – I think Scotty Barnes is still the high priority in terms of getting as many reps and touches as he can. And, um, you know, I think we, in, I think that there is, you know, a window where, you know, the best opportunity for this team is to look at Pascal Siakam and see what, see what kind of moves there could be out there for him. And there's definitely a lot of interest league-wide uh, kind of waiting to see, see what could happen. Yeah, you, you, you mentioned Atlanta. Um, you know, I think we've heard about Atlanta around the time of the draft as well. Ultimately, nothing materialized at that point, but that doesn't mean that anything really has tangibly changed. Um, you know, that, that'd be interesting. I mean, in terms of Atlanta, I, I, I feel like, you know, you obviously having known Masai, you know, over the years, like, does does the Atlanta have that kind of, like, headline piece that Masai, given his history of, you know, making great deals for his team. Um, does, does Do they have, like, that headline piece that you would say, yes, we traded Pascal, but clearly we have a reason to. Like, you know, if it was we traded Pascal for Scoot Henderson, again, that's something you could market. That's something that's easy, fits your positional need. All that could have happened. But, I, I, you know, as we just had a conversation with, with Port, uh, Sean Hyken in Portland, that wasn't realistic from Portland's perspective. But in Atlanta, is there that headline piece that you can get back where, you know, a guy like Masai – would say, yes, I'm going to do this deal? Well, they're not trading Trey Young, and I don't think Raptors would actually be – he would be their first choice. So who's their second-best player, (laughs) right? So it's DeJounte. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's who your first ask would be. Um, and if it's not him, then then you kind of discuss further and then you try and get some other teams involved and see what other options are out there. But if it is specifically Atlanta, and Atlanta is the one that kind of keeps, you know, making it known that they're interested, then it would seem to me that, you know, a guy like DeJounte Murray, who's going to, he's also got one year left on his deal, is going to be looking, he's kind of in an OG and an OB situation where, you know, the extension that they can offer him is not worth what he probably would get if he was a free agent. And so, you know, and that's just, you know, it's a kind of a, um, you know, it's, you're trading, not problems, but you're trading team players that are in similar, similar situations in guys who have one year left or, you know, the understanding would be if you were to trade, they were, there would be an extension. So that that kind of discussion would have to take place in advance. But, um, you know, that's one option. And, and then you, you kind of, otherwise, you know, you've seen the other, the other uh, kind of iterations that people put together and it's Kobe Bufkin and, uh, you know, kind of other variety of their young players. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe that's the way you go too, is, is you kind of, you may forego the headliner, but you kind of get the money taken care of with a couple of less meaningful pieces. But, you know, your real target is, is some of their, their really good young talent. And uh, and then you continue kind of a reset of this group towards sort of the 25 and under crowd, right? Like OGN and OB and down. And, you know, like I think if, you know, I, I, you know, I think people have to recognize that the idea of trading – a guy in Pascal Siakam who's really good, who has been an All-NBA player, was an All-Star, is you know you're not you know the notion that you can get five firsts and uh, the rest of it like I don't think that's happening anymore. I think this new CBA has really kind of cooled the market on you know really high-end players being traded or being acquired just because the it gets harder and harder to fit in forty million dollars salaries um, without penalties being incurred. So. You know, teams are going to be less likely to, to to kind of throw everything at at these players, and some of those trades have shown. You know what? Like, they, they haven't really worked out all that great. So, you tell me, Rudy Gobert uh, ruined the market. Is what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. And so, uh, you know, so I think I think you've got to be realistic in your expectations, and you know, then the timing is everything, right? Like, is it easier and better to trade Pascal Siakam if he's under extension? Well, if he gets extended, then he can't probably be traded for six months. I'm pretty sure that's the rule. And, um, you know, so then you're kind of looking at a, a longer a longer term to all of this. Or do you, you know, do you just kind of forge ahead and, and get it done this summer and allow your new head coach and new coaching staff to kind of know what they're working with um, from the get-go? And I think... One way or the other, I think that there's probably going to be some clarity on this in the coming week. Like, I don't think this is going to be a situation that's going to drag and drag and drag. Yeah. All right. Well, Grange, I'm sure we will be calling you a lot. But in the meantime, enjoy a couple more rounds of golf, all right? <laughs> we'll try. Okay. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right. Yeah. Damn. Everybody's, everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. Pascal's the last guy on the championship. That, yeah, that contributed like, that is still here on the roster. He might go to. Yeah, I feel like the offseason is just starting for, for the Raptors. But I mean, it's a busy time, man. I mean, I, I do wonder, like, again, you tear it all down. Masai and Bobby still going to be here? I mean, everything's on the table, man. Everything's on the table. Yeah. The 38 boy. <laughs> you're you're, you're, you're man. killing the last minute. That's, that's, me, that's killing the last things. minute. All right. What else do you want to say? What else do you want to talk about? It's been two hours. Yeah. 
Um, I don't got much, man. I'm just, uh, you know, shout out to Jeremy Grant locking in that five years, 160 million the day before Dame requested the trade. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, it, it was funny seeing the online reaction about like, oh, Dame, you know, waited one day, saw them sign this, made sure it was signed, and then left. Like, he was doing them a favor. Like, no, like, Sean already talked about it. Like, this of course. Is, everything's already pre-agreed to. So why are we even doing this whole facade then? Can we just announce deals when it happens? You know what I mean? Like, the world have, have to have wait rules, until man. 6 p.m. Society's got to have rules. And you oh. got to abide by them. <laughs> Why do you sound like the Joker when you say that? <laughs> we Society's got to have rules. We live in a society. Yeah. Happy right. holiday Monday, everyone. That's all right. Enjoy. All right. Um, but yeah, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Will Oni, listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Night Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe and please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to our guest, Keith Pompey, Sean Hyken, Uncle Grange, producer and co host, Alice Wong, our board producer, Connor Lamont, and Jennifer Rowland for helping behind the scenes. We'll be back to talk to you on the podcast. Make sure you subscribe.